The Nowhere Fast podcast is brought to you in part by Sepp's Pizza. In addition to their regular menu, they are currently running a lunch special. Any two individual slices for $12, Tuesday through Friday, 11.30 until 2 p.m. Pick up only. Please visit sepspizza.com to place an order, or for any other information you might need. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode, and enjoy the pie. I mean, thank you for being here. I've, I've wanted... I've wanted to talk to you for a while. A friend of mine, Nick, uh, who I really respect, he really respects you. And it was him that actually reached out and was like, this would be a perfect guest for you. You know, someone to, to talk to about things you haven't really talked about before. And ever since he told me that, like months ago, I agree and i've been like watching what you're up to and really wanting to get you on to chat i i want to start this in a bit of a different way than usual i'm i'm so interested in everything you do like the way the little i know about what you're doing and the way you present it and your like the words surrounding what you do, everything is so impactful. And I don't want to dilute that by coming on here and like pretending I even like know exactly what you're doing or try to like assume certain things. So all I am here to do is give you the platform to like explain to me what it is you do. So, like, if if you don't mind, can you explain a bit about, like, what you're all about and maybe even, like, why you're about it? And I just want to, like, I want you to teach me the importance of what you're doing. And anyone listening, I hope, is learning as well. Like, I, I just basically want you to talk at me and, and explain all this, and I don't want to assume things or tell you about what you know from the inside i'm i'm super lucky to have you here and i just want to like hear from you like in your words an explanation about why you do what you do okay yeah for sure um thank you wes yeah i appreciate you having me on um so yeah my name is will cardinal mauer uh, I'm a, I'm the team lead of, uh, of the street outreach program, um, at this nonprofit organization called the Bissell Center, uh, located in Edmonton's downtown core. Um, again, like my, my words and my opinions do not reflect my, uh, my, my place of work. Um, I'm just speaking on behalf of, um, the work I do, uh, but, uh, the Bissell does give me the means to to uh, to work um, with the inner city community, the houseless community, um, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity um, they give me to do that. And so, uh, as a street outreach worker, um, I I work Monday Friday eight hours a day, 
And about six of those hours, um, I'm on foot in the inner city, um, in Chinatown, in the downtown core, city center, um, Boyle Macaulay. Um, I have my backpack on. I have, uh, there's one other person on my team, uh, my work partner. And, um, and we go around uh, just, uh, we're, we go around, our, primarily, our primary job is uh, to respond to drug poisonings in the neighborhood. Um, that takes up a lot of our time. Um, we are currently at the, uh, at the height of like a drug poisoning epidemic. Um, and we've been kind of going through it, uh, through that, like the last couple of years, it's been really bad. Um, so in the past, so I've been doing outreach with Bissell now for three years. Um, and in the past three years, I've personally responded to probably over 400, uh, drug poisonings. Um, and when I, and when I say responding, I mean, like, um, we use this opioid reversal agent, it's called naloxone or Narcan. Um, it's intramuscular. We use the intramuscular. Uh, there's also nasal Narcan, uh, not as accessible as the intramuscular, but, um, so that's why we primarily use that. Um, and yeah, so we use uh, Narcan and we just kind of go around and we check on people to make sure, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes if somebody's sleeping or if somebody's going through drug poisoning. Uh, and so we just go around and, you know, and just kind of check on folks, um, to make sure they're breathing. Um, if they're not breathing, you know, if we we kind of have like telltale signs of a drug poisoning. And so if we know what's happening, then we can respond and act accordingly. Um, and so that's kind of like a primary part of the of the of the job. And then another like we uh we practice a model called harm reduction. And um and harm reduction is is basically as it sounds. Um we reduce harm. Uh and so we we hand out um, clean clean needles uh, for for injection. Uh, we hand out clean smoking apparatuses uh, for inhalation. Um, we hand out condoms. Um, we hand out um, we hand out yeah just other other things like that. Um, and like harm reduction is basically just like uh, people are going to use drugs um, whether you want them to or not. Um, they might as well be safe doing so. Um, like we always say uh, in harm reduction is like dead people, they can't recover. Um, and so at the bare minimum, we just need to keep people alive. And so, um, yeah, my job, my outreach work is, is exactly that, um, keeping people alive long enough so that they can get the help that they need. Um, and so, yeah, three, I've been, yeah, three years working at Bissell Center. And before that, uh, I worked at, uh, I worked, I actually worked at Hope Mission for seven years before that. And so I've been in the inner city, uh, since 2012, um, just 11 years now, uh, working front lines. And so a lot of the folks that I see every day on the street now are folks that I've known for 10 years, um, uh, people ask me like, how did I build such a great relationship with with the, our, our our unhoused community? Um, and I just tell them that I I just tell them I show up and I've showed up. Um, it's just kind of like that consistency um, when they see me outside walking, you know, the back alleys and and walking the streets. Um, you know, there's a sense of uh, I don't know calm amidst the chaos. Essentially, 
um, you know, they know that they can trust me, that they can come to me with their problems um, and, and I'm going to listen to them. Uh, I always say the best thing you can give our folks that are unhoused on the street, um, the best thing you can give them is your time. Um, and so uh, I know like 99% of the time, I'm not going to be able to solve any of their problems, but you know, 100% of the time I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to do what I can within my means to try to help, you know? And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's just really, um, it's just really important to me uh, uh, just to be out in this community. Like, yeah, I, I just love this, uh, the community that I work with, um, they're very dear to my heart. And um, they're very stigmatized, and they're very forgotten about, and um, and they're very and they're and they're judged quite harshly, um, and they don't deserve the uh, they don't deserve the uh, the energy that, that uh, you know that they receive. Um, yeah, no, of course that that's absolutely incredible. If you don't mind me asking, what like what sparked your drive to do this? in the first place like if, if you've been kind of in and around these things for about 12 years what 12 years ago sparked the interest um it's a very that's a very good question uh so i actually used to be uh, an evangelical christian um i grew up i grew up in the church uh i grew up uh, my, my parents were christian um and and so actually i i i came i come from this very small town called bonneville alberta um and and so uh i was actually like my my life path when i was like a teenager um i want like a, i i wanted to be a missionary um just from yeah a young age i just i i, I always just like cared about people um but i was in i'm in like i'm cree i'm metis uh, I'm Métis, and so um, I'm Indigenous, and and I'm and I was Indigenous, and I was Christian, and and so it's kind of it's kind of just like long story short. Um, I I came to Edmonton to I went to Bible College actually, and I trained to be a missionary, um, and I dropped out after two years. I did, you know I I decided like I didn't want to uh, to continue um that that type of education and um and i had volunteered when i when i went to the bible college i actually had volunteered at home mission um while i was attending uh, the school my school and um and then i realized like i could like instead of just volunteering i was like i could just get paid to do this work um and and again like i was always like i was always considered like a bad christian um because i always met like it's it's unfortunate that uh it's like come this way but like i you know i used to meet, i used to meet human like i used to meet human needs first and versus you know like if people wanted to like hear about my faith you know i would i would offer i would i would talk about it right but if they didn't want to then you know uh that was okay and so i originally i just started working at hope mission um you know through um uh, just like after like you know studying um and then um, just like I, I basically I told like, I got paid to love people, uh, and and I and then and then long and, and then now here I am today. Like I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, I left the church um, about three or four years ago, um, and unfortunately, within like faith based uh, faith based organizations in the city um, that offer care to the community, um, 
they, there's, they, they don't practice harm reduction, unfortunately. And so thankfully I was able to make that switch and get into it. Um, but that's kind of how yeah, I originally started was it was my faith that originally brought me into it. Um, just because I naturally just loved people. And, um, and so, yeah, here I am some like, well, yeah, uh, fast forward to now I'm still, I'm still um, working in the same community. Yeah. So is, is that like, would that have been your first job? Like, have you only worked in this industry? Yeah. Uh, pr- like it's been my, like I did, like I did some random jobs. Uh, I like worked at, uh, I worked at like the Capital Cafe as a pizza chef. Um, I worked at a Mr. Lube. Uh, I worked at like a, a trucking depot. And so I kind of just bounced around with all of these like things, uh, other these like meaning, uh, meaningless jobs basically um, that I didn't really like, uh, I didn't really have a passion for. And then, yeah, once I started working at Home Mission, I also started as like a winter warming staff at Jasper Place Health and Wellness Center kind of at the same time. And that was kind of my first t- intro into the community. And so, yeah, no, this, that was, it was, this type of work was really the, um, yeah, one of my first real jobs and yeah, it hasn't changed. (laughs) Is there, um, like, is, is the fact that you were like Christian and Métis, is that like a rare kind of combination or is there like a, a big Christian presence amongst Métis people? I, I have no idea. So I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, there, there is quite, yeah, there's quite a, um, there's quite a big uh, Métis, a Christian Métis community, um, as, as well as like, you know, there's like an, like an indigenous uh, Christian community. Um, and so like my, my thing was, it's like, so I grew up in a very like white dominant, my mom is Métis, my dad is, my dad is white, he's Caucasian. Um, and so I grew up in a very white dominant church. And so what kind of happened was, is they kind of put me on a pedestal. Um, and I, I, I use this term like weaponized almost where they, uh, you know, they kind of saw me, they were like, oh, well, here's Will who's native and Christian. And so he's, you know, he's going to bring the gospel to, you know, other natives, you know? And so they kind of like built me up, uh, and, and, uh, and kind of, pointed me at like the indigenous community essentially and then you know set me off and um and i always just say like i was indoctrinated you know like they tricked me um and thankfully i I got out i was i was i was in it i was like really deep in it um and not many people who are like as deep as i was like do get out um but yeah so there, there is quite a large indigenous christian community but um there's like a bad, you know, it, 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 yeah, that makes sense. Is it uh, like a big deal to them for you to leave? Like, did they, obviously they didn't like it, but did they like let it be known that it was an issue? Um, yeah, there was a lot of pushback, um, you know, like leaving the church, leaving Christianity, uh, you know, you lose your identity, you lose your community, you know. Um, I was always like Christian first before I was indigenous, right? And, uh, and so thankfully now, you know, um, now that I'm gone, now that I've left, you know, I can, I'm, I'm fine. I'm exactly, I'm finally like where I'm supposed to be. And yeah, there was a lot of pushback. Um, but at the same time, I never, like, this was the part, like a lot of times like within Christianity, they're like, well, if you leave Christianity, then you won't be kind. 
anymore. You won't be compassionate. You know, you won't be, you're going to lose all these things and you're going to go down this like dark path. But the one thing that never changed with me um, is I never stopped taking care of people. You know, they, um, I like, um, obviously within the Bible, like Jesus, Jesus uh, is like, you know, the number one boy in Christianity. And, uh, and he, and, you know, at, at his core, his basic principles, you know, is he took care of people. And so even though I left the church, you know, they couldn't say like, you know, people that tried to push back, they couldn't say anything about me. Um, you know, like, Oh, like you're like, you know, you're a bad Christian. And it's like, no, like I'm literally just practicing what I was taught, you know, um, my whole life and I'm still doing it. So uh, yeah, there was some push back but you know nothing nothing changed um just just i just i just shed toxic doctrine and you know uh theology and um you know i, I yeah just like i um stripped that co colonial mindset um that i had uh and just continued yeah just continued the work that i was already doing um now i'm thinking about like you you know like growing up in bonneville and then fast forward to now you must be like seeing a lot of things out in your like day-to-day -day employment on the streets things that like did you even like were you aware that there really were homeless people or houseless people or when you lived in bonneville like was that even something you were aware of like in that sheltered of the community um no no i had no idea like i'd seen on the news you know stuff like um i remember specific like my first ever like um my first ever like uh, exposure to homelessness was i remember i think it was maybe 2004 2005 there was a very large uh homeless encampment um just north of the bissell center and um you know and and I was maybe oof, like 13, 14. And, uh, and I just, yeah, I was like, cause we, yeah, we didn't have any, like just the idea of like having to sleep outside um, and having no place to go. was like so foreign to me. Um, and so coming to Edmonton, yeah, it was like a really big eye opener. Um, and another, like, just speaking of like coming from a small town, like, bon like I, like Bonneville is the town that like I kind of grew up in, but Iron River is like the small farming community that I, like, that I like where my family lived. And so what I ended up seeing is like when I started working at Hope Mission, so I, I went, I went to a school of a hundred students, kindergarten through grade nine, it was called Iron River School. Um, and I was one of maybe, maybe 10 indigenous kids in the school. Um, but the other indigenous kids I went to school with, um, a majority of them came from like this foster home, uh, that was down the road from where I lived. Um, so like the only, and so they would, you know, indigenous kids would come and go quite often and they would never stay. And as a kid, I was always very confused. Like why, like, why did these kids like, you know, who I could relate with, you know, like, why were they just coming and going? Um, but then when I started working at Hope Mission, I, I originally got a job in the youth shelter at Hope Mission. And um, and all of a sudden, I started seeing those kids that I used to go to school with, homeless or houseless on the street, um, accessing the youth shelter, you know. And then for me, it was just like, so I went, yeah, I went to school. I can, like, I, I have, like, 14 names of 14 Indigenous kids I grew up with in Iron River School, 
hundred students, such a small, tiny farming community. And out of those 14 like kids I grew up with going to school, um, 12 of them ended up homeless on the streets of Edmonton. Um, and like, and that's just Iron River, Alberta, you know, that's just um, like, and, and so then it got me thinking like how, like, like it's obviously not just isolated to that, you know, to the, yeah. to, to my small farming community, you know, like these kids just fell through the cracks, like completely, you know, and I just wonder how like all, I just, I think about all the other small towns in Alberta um, who also, you know, had indigenous kids just kind of come through, fall through. Like, imagine if it was like 14 white kids from my school, you know, or like, like that all ended up homeless from that community, you know, like, it would be like it would that would be that would be like uh like such a big big thing but you know just yeah um and so i'm very thankful to be able to like remember these kids and remember their names and and, and i still see them every day like some of them some of them have passed away um but i still get to i still get to like um like yeah be present i guess be their friend you know even now interesting you say remember i was wondering if uh if you if you ever like actually spoke to these people and made the connection that you did like grow up like going to school together like did you talk to all of them or you just like saw them in passing um no i i talked to all of them and i still talk to them to this day um you know like there's some kids i used to go to their birthday parties you know like we, um, and, and like one, my one, my one friend, um, she asked me, it was even like that first couple, that first year that I was working at the youth shelter, you know, and, and we were, we were the same age. Um, and here I was working at the shelter and here she was houseless. Um, and she, she asked me at one point, she said, Hey, Will, she's like, how did, like, at one point, like we were on the same, you know, at one point. We were kids going to birthday parties, you know. Yeah. Um, and and then all of a sudden, you know, she said, "Well, how did your life go this way, and how did my life go that way?" You know, um, that was like such like a like I had no, I I have I had no words to answer that question, you know. Um, I obviously I had the support like I you know my like my parents are still together. I you know I I had a really I had a pretty I had a really good life growing up, a, a privileged life, you know. Um, and, uh, and I had the support to make sure, you know, that I didn't end up, you know, on the street and, um, and these kids that I went to school with that were in foster care or in this group home, you know, they didn't have those same supports, you know, but obviously like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just tell her that. Um, but thankfully still to this, yeah, I, I still talk to them and, um, and, you know, they're, they're, some, they're in and out, sometimes they're in and out of housing or in, in and out of, in and out of prison, um, but I, I, I do my best to keep track of all of them and, and to make sure they're doing okay um, to the best, you know, that I can and we can. I wonder, like, when she asked you that question and you couldn't answer, I wonder, like, you must have not actually had an answer, right? It must have taken you, like, all these all these years in it to be able to answer that question. Even still... It's probably a bit like perplexing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. It took me it took me a while. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, do you, like you were saying, if that had been like fourteen white people instead of indigenous people, do you know 
if there are any white people from the town who ended up houseless, or does it like track back that, you know, like you can track it back to like the upbringing, or I mean, not not the upbringing, the mistreatment of the upbringing for them to end up that way. And then for the white people from there not to like have to deal with any of that. Do you know if there was right. any? Um, so like, I, I'm not like, I'm not saying like, that, like, you know, like white people can't be poor. Like, um, it, it, it's, uh, no, it's a reality, but uh, I mean, um, I don't and like the, like, you know, the white kids that I did go to school with, right. They all came from like really good homes and, you know, and, and had again, but, like very similar to me. Um, I also like, um, yeah, so I, I haven't really seen many, at least from that community, not to say that there, there isn't, right. um, Right. But um, for the most part, yeah, there was just like a, there was just like a mat, like a, it's obviously just like a massive, like over, over representation of um, like indigenous kids, you know, um, in care. It's just kind of the indigenous kids in care to homeless pipeline, you know, um, that's currently, uh, that's currently still happening. Um, and so, and again, like growing up also, like I never saw myself as indigenous as well. You know, I was just like, one of the kids you know um and again that's also not something that i realized that's not something that i learned till later that i was like whoa like um you know like people were like kids were racist to me you know uh just like the microaggressions blah 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 um but um yeah no um it's just it was primary i just it was just primarily yeah the indigenous kids that um ended up on the streets here were they like not uh like teaching you guys anything about indigenous people like while you were in school like i mean you must have known that you and these 14 other kids had that in common but was that sort of the only like addressing of that that happened in bonneville um no it was like i didn't yeah i didn't learn about like residential schools until i was in like maybe grade nine maybe it wasn't even till high school. Yeah. Um, so like, and again, this is like a rural town, rural curriculum, you know, um, like I remember like we would like make pilgrim hats for Thanksgiving, you know, like it was just very out of touch and very disconnected. Um, but at the time, right. Like, yeah, I, I like, you know, you're not aware of these things. Um, and so, yeah, they're like, it was just like the only, the only thing like we had in common is like, we, we looked like each other and, and uh and it was there was like some you know there was like uh there was community there was a community you know there was community there there was like oh it was relatability you know and again we didn't know why we were relating right as kids but um but yeah yeah that, yeah so then like was it we maybe not weird but like were your parents almost confused when this is like what you wanted to do like in the inner city work with these people that you were barely even exposed to like growing up were, were they confused or were they supporting or a bit of both yeah i'd say both like they i mean they supported me because like they knew like like they were really proud of me that i was a missionary like they were really proud of me that you know i was like taking care of people right um and and they were and again that um it was up until I I wasn't a Christian anymore that it kind of caused a rift 
in the in the relationship you know um but then again it like they're still proud of me um like but then our relationship like the only thing we had in common really was christianity um or that was like the most our common bond i wouldn't say it was our only thing in common it was it was the most common bond and um and so like i have an older brother and an older sister they left the church really early on um they you know and and because i stayed i, I stayed a christian and you know and so i was kind of like <laughs> this product this protege you know my parents like protege like golden child like um and so but yeah it wasn't until i left left the church then that they were like well like they, they desperately want me to come back and be a christian again um but at the same time you know they like again nothing has changed other than my faith you know right i'm still taking care of people and so like they're yeah they're still proud of, of that back yeah i i wasn't gonna ask and now i mean feel if this is too much let me know but did it like cause an issue between you and your parents when you left the church? Yeah, um, yeah. They like they. Well, the thing is, is this like you know Christians like like they believe you know they believe in the concept of hell, right? Right. And thankfully, I don't believe in that anymore. Like, yeah, to even just like teach a child the concept of hell, like that's so cooked. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, <laughs> but because they still believe in that concept of hell, right? Like you know, according to Christianity, that's where I'm going, right? And so I think it's more, it's not, it's like, it's not, it's so, it's more like they're scared for me, you know, it's not like they're, like they're mad that I've left, you know, it's more so that they're scared for my, you know, my soul, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, like we, like we, we've, we, we've, you know, we've gone through it a couple of times, but um, yeah, we, we can, like, we still maintain like a pretty healthy relationship despite, you know, our differences. Um, but we did, yeah. There was, yeah. It kind of gets dicey sometimes. But I'm, I mean, this is how little I know about all this. I'm sure I'm gonna look like an unbelievable in the office. But I, is that how it works? Like, if you aren't Christian, then you, anyone not Christian, is going to hell. I thought it was bad people went to hell. I didn't know it was just everyone who wasn't Christian. Yeah, according to yeah, the, yeah, know, yeah, the allegedly. Uh, yeah, allegedly. Yeah, if yeah, if you don't accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you are condemned to hell <laughs> for eternity. I I didn't. I mean, that will not affect my stance on it, but I I didn't know that. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty crazy, um, but yeah. So that's kind of yeah. So that's kind of. Um, well, yeah, that's like the faith that, yeah, that I grew up in. Um, and so the whole thing is just to like go out as a mission, you know, it's like go out and make disciples of all nations. That's what the Bible says. Like, just go out and convert as many people as you can, you know? And so like working out mission, you know, that was like the priority, unfortunately, like within, um, like the organization, like, um, was just like, like again i was a bad christian because i wasn't trying to convert people you know i was just trying to like meet their basic needs um and uh right and so um yeah i don't know where i was going with that but now i i meant to ask you before when you mentioned it so i'm backtracking a little but you said it was hope mission that didn't like practice any harm reduction right is that because they 
don't like acknowledge it kind of like that isn't a problem they're trying to solve um well it's 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 like it's just faith-based organizations that work with the inner city um you know it's like like christianity is usually rooted in like right wing you know uh policy and and so um like the reason is like within christianity like or what we see now like what what like i wouldn't say it's like christianity it's core but like this uh evangelical this uh evangelical movement blah 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 um let me say it's like it's very like it's like you know drugs are bad alcohol is bad smoking is bad um and so it's very like shame based and like punishment based you know there's no room for like harm reduction to like work within that system because like you know like you like at some of these shelters like these christian run shelters it's like if you use drugs in the bathroom you're banned for 6 months you know what i mean like um and so it's yeah it's more like punishment based care than like um than like compassion you know or then just or then like is that does that make sense yeah yeah um, uh, like totally yeah i mean it it makes no sense in logic but what you're saying makes sense yeah right yeah it doesn't logically make sense but um yeah so it's um they 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 think you know like if you give out needles they think it's enabling them you know right um they they think harm reduction is enabling when when within christianity it's it's sobriety you know it's it's complete abstinence from the the substance right which doesn't work for everybody you know um there is there needs to be a balance you know but um yeah it's very much just like it's very much just abstinence and there's no room or wiggle there's no grace for um any like like relapse or whatever like substance abuse um like it sounds like no room for anything except the exact idea of what they think it should be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, I again doesn't logically make like I understand why how they could come to that conclusion. It just the the logic behind it is where I I kind of get lost on it. Right. Same here. Um, and it's yeah, yeah, and. They, it's also just like, cause like Alberta right now, the UCP is implemented like the Alberta recovery model, which is like forced sobriety essentially. Right. Um, and, uh, and again, like forced sobriety, like doesn't work for everybody. I know folks that will never be sober, um, probably. And, um, and like, and, and some folks that if like, if like sobriety would probably kill them, you know? Yeah. Uh, at, the, at this point in their drug use stage or, or you know what i mean um and so again yes there, like there needs to be a balance uh but like you know we talk about like safe consumption sites you know and um and uh like safe supply you know um those are all like like those are all radical those are all like radical ideas you know um and and a lot of like the a lot of like like the drug the drug prohibition um in is rooted in like yeah like very right wing policy and um and that's just kind of like the current state that we're in right now and that policy is killing people currently um and so yeah now you, and you can see yeah you can see why like there needs to be more um yeah more more harm reduction stuff um, 
sorry, I'm just babbling. No, no, <laughs> I'm. It's it's awesome. I I don't know about any of this, so I'm I'm selfishly just trying to learn about all this. Okay, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, go take it. Yeah, no, of course. I ne- never feel like you're rambling or anything. I'm like just trying to absorb all this. I uh, I I find one thing. When I I see your posts and stuff, they really make me think. You know, like the word, like the way you write them, just invokes like such such an emotion. But then I feel that you always you have such a like innate ability. I don't know if it's on purpose or is it's just the way you write it, it kind of coincidentally. But you always. I like find myself really contemplating what you're saying and then by the end of it you like manage to sprinkle in like a bit of positivity like you know it's it's really bad but it can get better or people can persevere or we couldn't help this person but we can help their neighbor so I'm wondering like how basically like maybe a dumb question but how do you deal with so much like compounding negativity in this job and then still see like the positive benefits and then keep at it like what you said five or six days a week like you're more than full-time out there i'm assuming it's the type of job that you take home even if it's just mentally like there's no way you can just turn off your brain when it's not nine to five so what what keeps you like seeing the positive through all the negative i don't know like i uh i just i truly believe i truly believe in a better world um i truly believe that um and they there's this word like there's these words i've heard them before it's called like unconditional positive regard <laughs> um and and um taken a lot like um for just for example like the turnover rate front lines is like really really high um and i don't know i i i've always just had the capacity to um to see and to feel um like um like you know incredible pain but um but also just like i i uh I just have this, um, I, 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 sometimes I just say like, I'm just maybe built a little bit different, but, um, I, you know, and now, um, I also believe like, you know, I also believe in creator. Um, now that I'm not a Christian anymore, I've been really like subscribe, like, you know, I've really like gone after, um, like my indigenous spirituality. Um, and, and I, you know, and I truly believe like that everything is spiritual and, um, and I don't believe in like, um, coincidences, but, uh, I just, uh, I, I've always believed it. I've always had hope. Um, I've always had hope that things can get better and that things will get better. And, um, you know, and as long as we keep doing, you know, as long as we keep fighting, um, as long as we keep fighting, uh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, build that better future. And for me, like, I, you know, I, I don't like uh, the thing I, I, I always say, like, maybe not in my lifetime, you know, Maybe I right. won't see the things that I want to see in my lifetime, but I'm going to do everything I possibly can with my limited time here to, you know, try to make the world a better place uh, for the next generation, you know, for the ones who come after me, you know, and I know that's kind of like, it's very cheesy and cliche, um, 
but I just like I I don't know I also just like love people like so much like so deeply um and and um and even and, and even people that I don't even know you know uh right and so yeah and I and I just feel that like I, I always yeah it doesn't matter like how bad things get um I just uh I can always um I always have like a deep sense of um of hope that you know yeah that things can be better right um and I and, and I and I and I can and I can help I can help maybe even just a little bit to improve you know to like get there right that that's incredible first off like i i don't think that's cheesy at all i constantly say to people it it takes a while like a long time for like a good change to be implemented so i'm i'm totally i'm exactly like you i think you know i might like the change that like if i was implementing any change it might take until after I'm gone for it to like flourish. So like, I totally understand. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have to see it, you know, I don't have to see it to know that it's coming. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like, really, I mean, change can happen fast too, but I think any like meaningful, impactful change has to happen over a while. Right. So I, I mean, not cheesy and I, I totally empathize with that. I'm also wondering if, like, you're saying you've always had this kind of, like, positivity and, like, empathy and, and hope that, or, like, optimism. But was that, like, from 12 years ago, is that how you felt? Or did you have to kind of, like, learn as you went, like, the positivity? Which, as I'm saying, it seems, like, crazy to the more time you spend in the thick of this to be more optimistic, but were you, or was it like day one, you just felt like this can change and I want to be a part of it changing no matter how long it takes. Right. Um, I, I think I've always, I've always felt way um, through it all. And, 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 and for me, it all, it all comes back down to like the relationship I have with the community, like the folks that I take care of, you know, like, like, um, and this is like where, like, as much as I think like I'm helping them, you know, they bless me, like, like they bless me, um, like a hundred times full in return, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so like you know like it's it, it's a very like again it's a very it's a very rewarding job um you know to help people and 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 like not even like like you know not even like selfishly but just like um just being able to you know just to walk around outside and in the inner city you know and there's a, a community member oh hi will and then there's another community oh hey will or another community how's your mom you know or another community member like you know like like what are you up to today and it's just like just those little interactions i have with them um just mean so much to me and um and they like in reality it's like it's the community that keeps me going um it's how special they are to me that like really bring like really gives me that joy you know to keep fighting for them and to keep you know um trying to help them yeah that's also incredible cuz i i feel like you know thinking a bit about about the industry that you're in, like a lot of people might not say 
it's like a, a relationship of kind of reciprocal positivity, you know, and like mm -hmm. everyone's kind of feeding off each other. It, it's funny. This is why, like, I wanted to hear from you how you see this stuff going instead of, you know, what, what the media are. No, like not a conspiracy theory, although it could be, but I'm just saying the narrative that they want to put out there is much different than what you would tell. And you know more than them just creating the story. Like you're in the field every day. Like you know most, like maybe you personally know most of all, like I might have the actual the insight to all this right here on the podcast with me. Like, I don't know who could answer all this better. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Like the, the, the narrative written is, um, is so violent and, and it's so colonial. Um, it, like the, the whole, like the whole, like the whole narrative around public safety in Edmonton you know, is, 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 is really backwards. Um, like the 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 stigma Chinatown receives and the stigma downtown receives and the stigma like our transit system receives. Um, like God forbid, like someone takes the bus and sees a poor person, you know, um, can't have that. Um, just kidding. But uh, like I I like I feel so safe um, in Chinatown, and um, and people say, oh, well, I don't go I don't go down there, you know, like. Um, you know it's it's unsafe but um people like people this is where people have like a big misunderstanding people equate being unsafe with being uncomfortable and that's like a message i really wanted to talk about is um just be, if you're un, just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're unsafe you know and um and 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 why you feel uncomfortable that that sh that's the root like you, you, you should find out why you feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, uh, people are like, we're in a currently like in a mental health crisis. And, and just even for example, uh, I, I was just thinking about this a couple of days ago, primarily, but like people talking to themselves, you know, there's people downtown in Chinatown that are just consistently talking to themselves, you know, but like, why does that have to be like a strange thing? You know, why does that have to be like this? Why, like, like I talk to myself, consistently you know um but because you know their mental health is at a point where you know they can't control it in a public space right but like why why is that a bad thing you know yeah um, of course you know and um and like a, and someone who uses drugs they might look violent but they're not or they, they might look scary uh but they're not prone to violence you know i i'm i'm more scared of like of like hockey bros after an Oilers loss on White Ave at 2 a.m. You know, like, you know, like, like that scares me. You know, I've had friends be assaulted, you know, multiple times um, by, you know, that kind of that type, that demographic. And, um, and it's just like, and those are going to be the same people that are like, oh yeah, like, yeah, like look at that crackhead, like he's going to stab me, you know, like, and even just the language around like crackhead, meth head, junkie, you know, like I really like those words are so ugly and um, and I would just really encourage yeah, to whoever's listening to this, like to kind of move away from that language um, uh, just because like it's not who it's not who these people are, you know. Yeah, no, no, I've, I, I've I've talked to 
I can't remember who I was saying it to, but it's interesting that, you know, if someone was like using drugs and they were houseless or more like visibly unfortunate that way, there's such a stigma behind it. But if like some guys at a house party in like Windermere are doing coke, it, I mean, I don't think it's cool, but some people might. And it's the same thing, really. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The only difference between crack and cocaine is baking soda or baking powder. Um, And, and it's, yeah. And it's like, you know, people only equate like doing drugs or like, like over overdoses or even just like, you know, there'll be like, like violence even in Chinatown, like violence that happens in Chinatown isn't isolated to Chinatown. Violence happens all over the city, but people have the privilege of being violent behind closed doors, you know? People have the privilege of doing hard drugs behind closed doors, right? And the only reason we see Chinatown, like Chinatown is never in the news for something good, you know? But um, the only reason, and, and you'll see the comments, oh, classic Chinatown, you know, oh, classic downtown, like, of course that happened. And it's like, fuck off, you know? Like, like this stuff's happening all over the city just because we're seeing it on the streets openly, right? You know, doesn't just make it um, like a Chinatown issue, right? Yeah, no, no, uh... What I uh I wanted to ask uh like I I mean if I ask this question a probably could be like a six day conversation but what what is your like what do you think I don't they take me or the average listener what could we do to help out with what you see happening like is there anything that an individual could volunteer to do or even just like practice in their day-to-day? Like, do you recommend more people taking a Narcan course or like what, like if you could just suggest a couple easy things for someone like me or a listener to do, what would that be? Definitely. Um, I think the single most important thing you can do um regarding um like these issues uh is is to ha- is is to have conversation um is to have hard conversations like with people who might not agree with you about these topics you know people who might use maybe some of that violent language you know um and there are, are times and places of, of course like it's it, it's it's hard but it's also just like holding space you know and 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 to talk about these things and and um and to humanize this community like th- this community this community that i like that i that i love so much um i think i again and 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 it can go as far as even just like again just changing the language you use surrounding it like it could be as small as that but that will go so far um and and so yeah number one most important thing yeah is just to have those conversations and to talk about these issues um in a very you know in a very non-stigmatized way um and another thing is yeah uh, you can t- like yeah taking a narcan training um is really important um like there's a mom stop the harm is like this really great um harm reduction advocacy group here in edmonton and they they made this map and um and 
the map is like all is, is of Edmonton and there's a, uh, and there's red dots all over the map. And essentially there's a red dot in every single neighborhood, except for maybe 10, 10 to 15 neighborhoods. And each dot represents like a drug poisoning death. And so um, taking a Narcan training, like if you like, you know, like everybody knows somebody who uses drugs. Right. And, um, and yeah. so even just taking a Narcan training, um and having it accessible like you know at a house party or if you go out clubbing you know um even just like if, um, for that like it, it's important to have but also like if you take transit um if you found you if you find yourself commuting downtown often you know also to have narcan on you and to know how to use it um because the chances of you maybe seeing a drug poisoning or maybe you've seen one already you know are really high right now and will continually continue to get high um and so, yeah, like a Narcan training um, and just having like a, or even just having like a good base understanding of like what harm reduction is, um, you know, is like really important. There, I mean, thank you for, uh, for sharing that one resource. I was going to ask you, is there anything else like you want to plug right now? Just so like people can actually look and see a tangible like resource. Like that map is great. Are there any other things that you know of that like people who are kind of novice to all this like me can like you know spend some time maybe online reading about what's going on um let me think well there's really there's like, like so there's some really good um like harm reduction like volunteer groups um here in edmonton um like for example one of them is called 4b harm reduction uh the letter or the number four and the letter b um is one of them there's another really great indigenous led one called Tawau outreach um t-a-w-a-w Tawau outreach um and uh and they have like both post really good resources and like educational pieces um kind of on the work we do and and um and some of like that decolonized like harm reduction practices um and also yeah so like those two groups are really great um, and if you and they're also those groups are also always looking for volunteers as well um, to come out and help do outreach. Um, there's another really good group called Hairs Outreach, H-A-R-E-S, um, also doing really good work in the city. So um, I would. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, there's there's so many other uh, groups, even if you, yeah, if you just Googled like harm reduction outreach groups like um, yeah, they would pop up. Um, but yeah. I'll I'll make sure to to link all those and then maybe I'll tomorrow or something shoot you a message see if there's any extra because like I said like I just want to learn about this and maybe if I could even help out like in the tiniest way or if any even like one listener helps out then I feel like we've done yeah helped in a way you know like sharing your story with people and it moved them enough to volunteer so i i just fingers crossed even one person even one person and that's all yeah one person one person tells one person you know that's all i always say one tells one and even just yeah to ha yeah just to talk about narcan and you know and to, and to talk about like these current issues that are so um that are so bad right now and um and especially with winter coming um you know there's eight there's um there's only like 846 shelter beds in the city and there's i'm gonna say there's around four thousand unhoused people 
in Edmonton. And that's like a conservative number. The city will come out and announce maybe 2,800, but like, but like we are like, we're seeing so many more, so much more. And, and every single day, a new person, you know, is, is being new to homelessness. And, um, and, you know, like people in Edmonton are, are closer to being homeless than to being, being able to like even buy a house, you know, or to even buy property. Um, like, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's all about just like, um, we're not very far, we're, we're not very far removed from, you know, what a lot of our folks are experiencing um, out on the streets right now. And so, again, just another good reminder to be like empathetic and to be kind and to kind of check your uncomfortability and ask yourself why you feel uncomfortable. And I'm not saying like, you know, that violence does, you know, I'm not saying that like, like, are like the community doesn't do, you know, violent things. Right. But again, it's not, it's not just isolated to our community. Um, and, and, uh, and people are just people, you know, if you treat a human being like a human being, you're going to receive the same. Um, uh, and I also like, um, a lot of our community, they really love babies and they really love children because babies and children are the only people in society that'll look them in the eye for longer than five seconds, you know? And, um, and, and just to like, even just say hello to somebody, you know, validate their existence, you know, um, like, like also like, like one of the first things I learned is how I, I took names for granted. Like this was one of the first lessons I learned at home mission is I remember my first or second day I learned this guy's name, his name's Kim and um and then i saw him a week later and i said oh hi kim and then he just started crying and he said he hadn't heard his name since the last time i asked him for it <laughs> he had gone a full week without hearing his name and you know and their names are all they have sometimes you know and so like imagine like not imagine like yeah not not being acknowledged you know yeah being around people being around so many people in public and then not being acknowledged once for like a whole week. And, and like what that does to your mental health, you know, what that does to your heart, what that does to your heart, you know, like humans are like, we, we're, 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 we're meant to be in community. We're meant to be in connection. And, um, and yeah, it just breaks my heart to see this community that I love so much, just, you know, be so poorly, be so unfairly, um, treated and and looked down upon yeah that's i mean terrible but like how you're referencing the like close to like four thousand houseless people in beds only for under a thousand i knew i had read some stuff that i was it was especially bad this year but i didn't know it was that bad like what I mean, this is probably too broad of a question for one person to answer, but I, well, like, what do they even think they're going to do about this? Like, are they even pretending to have a solution? Yeah, like, they're, the city said they were going to increase shelter beds by 1,700 this winter. Um, they're nowhere... But even that's not enough. That's not even... Right? Yeah, that's not enough. Yeah, like, but that's like, you know, they announced that. Don't do anything. Um like there's a couple smaller shelters, shelter beds opening up, maybe 200, maybe we'll get to 400 by the end of December. I don't know. Um, so no, there's really no solutions. Um, 
and all that so what's happened it also like the like people like there's there's encampments everywhere people literally have no place to go and the city's solution and eps's solution is to just sweep the encampments you know um and and so like that's another thing i deal with almost on a daily basis is is either the followed of a sweep or or being present at a sweep um and so they just destroy their encampments in this area here and then they move them over here and then they destroy their encampments in this area here and then they move them over here and then they do the same thing there and then they just move them then they just kind of they kind of just push them around the same four spots in the neighborhood you know um do they like advise them where to go next or do they like just disperse them with like no direction like they're just like you can't be here and then they find somewhere else or did they say you can go here for a week yeah they tell them to go to hope mission <laughs> and hope mission is at capacity every single night um that's that's their solution is uh yeah, they say go to Hope Mission, go to the shelter. Um, and of course, they're not going to do that. They're just going to go get another tent and set up somewhere else, you know. And then it's just the same the same old story. And like thousands and thousands of dollars go into these sweeps. And they don't, like, there's no, that is not a solution. And there's been hard data that show like this, the encampment sweeps, like kill people um, in, in the sense that like, for one example, let's say like a housing worker is working with somebody who's in a tent and they know where their tent is. Okay. And let's say, Hey, you have a viewing on Friday at 4 PM. I'm going to come get you here. We're going to go to the viewing, you know, we're going to, or you're going to go sign your lease, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. An, an encampment sweeps happen. An encampment sweep happens at Friday at, at 9 AM in the morning. Okay. So that housing worker goes to that spot where that where that person was, and now all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found. Um, now that they can't keep tabs on this person, um, they go maybe one two weeks without contact with their housing worker. After two weeks, they're out of the program because they they fail to check in or they've missed you know too many appointments. So then they go back down at the bottom and have to they have to start that entire process again. And that's just one person, you know, and that's just because that was just because they got displaced one time just you know disrupted everything essentially um and so not only does like yeah does it make it harder for us to find people um it also uh it, it pushes them farther away from like the life-saving resources that they need you know and so really? there's really yeah there's really no there's really no solutions um the city talks a lot but um nothing gets done and winter's coming um and encampment fires are already really bad. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty dire out there currently. And like you you were saying, like we're we're in the midst of an opioid crisis. Like obviously, I watch the news sometimes when it doesn't completely like destroy my brain. But what 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 is like what's is it fentanyl that's like the the main issue for these deaths yeah yeah fentanyl is the number one uh killer um and the thing is it's like it's also like easy to, so like um fentanyl is easy to move because it's small you know you don't need much to like get high from it and so it's like so people like are also like you know why like um, like 
oh, like why are de- why are dealers doing this or why are they making this? Like if they're just like killing their their clientele. But um, essentially, it's just like um, drug prohibition has forced um, is has forced like basically fentanyl numbers to rise just because um, just because of how easy it is to hide, you know. And you know, and and if you make something hard to access, you know, people are going to um, find ways around it, you know. And so, um, even just if we had like better like drug testing, you know, and we talk about safe supply, and people are like, oh, safe supply like is going to enable drug users, and it's just like no, um, like once people are on like a like on 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 a, like are stabilized on a drug that they know you know isn't going to kill them, and a consistent supply of that, you know what I mean, then um then they're, they're, like it's easier for them to like kind of figure things out for example there's a really cool program in edmonton called the map program managed alcohol program and so essentially it's for alcoholics uh, or people who drink heavy heavy drinkers um it, who who drink non-bev we call it so like sa- hand sanitizer listerine lysol vanilla extract um and so it's kind of those hard like the, the non-bev alcohol drinkers, they, they sign up for the managed alcohol program. And essentially they get to, they make their own wine. They, they, uh, they, they make their own wine and they get around four liters of it a day. And it's like around 20, 25%. Um, and so essentially uh, they make their own wine and they don't have to rely, you know, they don't have to rely on, you know, stealing sanitizer and drinking it anymore because now they have a consistent safe, supply you, you know what i mean um does it make sense yeah um and then so once they're kind of stabilized on this wine that they that they make and they, they get consistently right then they can like maybe slowly wean themselves off of it maybe next maybe tomorrow i'll take three liters and the next week i'll take two liters right and we've seen that happen and also it gives them like a sense of dignity um it teaches them like a really cool skill um, and then they're able to like meet appointments. And so that's just like a, a small example of how like the managed alcohol program works. But um, like, yes, like the same thing can be applied to like any substance um, in a safe and controlled setting. That's, that's amazing. I've, I hadn't heard of that. That That's cool. That's a good idea. And Dan, is it like well received in the community? Like are people like are alcoholics? open to joining that program and are the authorities like seeing results so they want to keep that going yeah um definitely they i i I can't remember what their uh i can't remember what their capacity is but they like they i i again i i don't work for boyle street i can't speak on the numbers but um it is like it is like a very popular program within the inner city and um it is accessed by quite a lot of people um, and people have graduated. Like that's the whole goal also with MAP is to like graduate from the program. So like maybe you don't need need it anymore. You know what I mean? Or or like or maybe like you've stabilized yeah yourself. And so um, unfortunately, like a lot of this, these programs um, are are contract based. So that's kind of how like like funding like a lot of nonprofits are held hostage by funding. Like they're only offered like a year contract, and then they have to like they have to like fight tooth and nail to like extend the contract. Um, so thankfully the MAP program, um, uh, I think like they, they've gotten like a couple of years contract uh, secured. And so it's currently, um, yeah, it's currently uh, safe right now. Um, 
yeah i mean that's that's great i'll i'll for sure be uh like link all that properly to that that one's awesome i'm gonna look more into that that's... yeah and it's i think it's the only one in the province i think it's the only one in the province um there's some really cool programs like that in vancouver like on hastings on east hastings um and some of the programs there like they distill their own vodka you know like they make their own beer like um um and so we're hoping to see more stuff like that here um in the future that actually i i should ask I know, like, it all, you know, a heavy subject matter, and a heavy subject, not just subject matter, but do you at all, like, think, like, is this getting better in any way? Like, do you, I know, obviously, we've talked about your optimism, but does the kind of industry as a whole see this improving at all, or is it just going to keep, like, going like getting worse in all aspects just because how the authorities treat it and the stigma and basically everything you've talked about like i know you personally see that this might get better does harm reduction as a industry are they optimistic um i like it's it's when we say get better it's kind of like hard to talk about better um under like the current systems you know um and so like i'm very like um like i'm very like anti-capitalist um like capitalism needs homelessness to survive essentially right Right. the threat the threat of being you know the threat of being on the street and like um like losing your home pushes you know drives the working force essentially you know and so, like, for me and my job, like, again, like, again, like, homelessness is, it's an industry. It's a business. Um, and it's actually, it, again, like, it's cheaper to house a home, like, a, a somebody who's houseless um, than it is to, like, have them, you know, out on the street accessing all of the resources. Um, and so I, I don't see any improvements under, I don't see any, like, I don't see, like, things are just continuously, I feel, will get worse unless policy changes there's currently um a lot of policies that exist that condemn people to death essentially and unless those policies change we won't see um big improvement like maybe like i can see stuff happening like on the micro scale like um like with even like within harm reduction um, like a lot of really cool harm reduction stuff is happening in British Columbia, like in Vancouver and in Victoria. And we're slowly seeing a trickle of that kind of coming over here this way. And so that's like been really encouraging and, and positive um, to see like harm reduction as a whole being more mainstream, um, being more talked about, being more um, common. And um and so that's been really nice. Um, but on the other hand, like as a whole, like the current state of like houselessness and the current state of like the housing, uh, the housing situation, the housing crisis, the, the, the drug crisis, um, we're not, yeah, I'm like, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bleak right now. Um, and, and just the amount of people every single day that are, you know, being, becoming new to homelessness, you know, um, something, something big, something, some big change, like, needs to happen on a like on a on a systemic level um 
And it's also like, just even just like the overrepresentation of indigenous people within like the hostless community, you know, like 70%. And that's like a conservative percentage um, that 70% of our hostess folk are indigenous, you know? Um, and so I think as long, but also like, as long, it, you know, like we're still here, like as indigenous people, right? And um, and another thing that like inspires me or, or even just like, um, it's just like also like indigenous people aren't houseless, you know, um, and like the land is, the land is our home. Um, right. And, um, and it always comes back down to the land and, you know, and as long as indigenous people are on the land, you know, there's, there's going to be hope. Um, and, and so I just, I find like, I find my strength, like, um, within my people and, um, and, and you know we use resilient. Like, sometimes people will use like resiliency as like a compliment. It's like it's, um, it's not a compliment. It, it's what we are, um, and we shouldn't have to be resilient, but it's what we are. And um, and and as long as yeah, as long as like people like myself, um, like as long as we keep fighting, um, hopefully yeah, we, we can maybe yeah, impact or inspire some change uh, for the future. Um, yeah, hopefully I answered that. Okay. Yeah, no, no, great. That I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I think you are, you and people like you are inspiring some change. You definitely like have made me put a lot more thought into this, and I know that's just me. But I mean, I feel if it, if it's working on me, hopefully more people start to think about this type of stuff and look into some of the resources you've shared. I think this will be uh I I don't wanna jinx it, but I'm I'm thinking this will be one of my more listened to episodes, which is uh uh like and I'm I'm not saying that just thinking about like clicks and views. I just want Yeah what you're saying to resonate with people and, and hopefully start start to make more of that change that you're going to personally fighting for. One, one last question I have. Do you, like you're talking about the policies and stuff, so I assume maybe some of that is attributed to the people in charge. Does that mean like it'll kind of be like we're waiting till hopefully a time when the NDP is back like would uh, you think the changes would come with the like the altering of leadership like so it might be years until any of this stuff is implemented good question um politics yeah politics are so tricky um just because like like uh even just for me myself as like as an indigenous person um like I exist outside, like, you know, I'm not, I'm neither, like I'm neither left or nor right. Um, uh, right. Like, like we exist, out, we predate, out, we predate political parties. We exist outside of political spectrum, you know, um, obviously naturally as caretakers of the earth and as, you know, as, as, uh, as caretakers of people, we, we, you know, we would obviously more align with like the left. Um, but also just like, like no, like no politician is going to save us. Um, like we're going to save us. We always say by us for us, you know, um, as long as, yeah, there's people on the ground doing the hard work, 
um, you know, there will be, yeah, there will be a better future. Um, and, and when I say policies, it's just even just like some of like the drug use policies, like just recently EPS started cracking down on open air drug use. Um, and I mean, I get it. Like, you know, people don't want to see people using drugs, I guess, in public. Um, but also just like, so they crack down in the name of public safety, right? But then I always like to ask, define safety, who is safe? For example, we have two safe consumption sites in Edmonton, uh, one at the George Spady uh, and uh, one at Radius Health Center. And so before this open air drug use crackdown was implemented, folks were always consistently in front or behind Radius or in front of the George Spady Center using drugs, um, often, often overdosing. Um, but, you know, there's nurses on site with both places and they could come out and, you know, um, reverse the, the the drug poisoning as well as myself, like outreach teams like myself. That's where the folks were. That's where I could find them. And I can also like look out for them there. But since they cracked down on that uh, open air drug use policy, now EPS routinely goes in and kicks everybody out from those spaces and just moves, like tells them to move on, tell, removes them from the area. Um, and so what that does is that makes it harder for me to find them, you know? And so EPS cracked down on September 26th. Um, that was the first time I saw them remove people from George Spady parking lot. Um, in between September 27th and October 5th, 19 of our community members died. 19 of them in that short span. And that and, and then those deaths can be exactly attributed to that 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 like that event, that 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 crackdown. Like I can I can um they just line up. And and folks are our folks are now like they're dying in behind a dumpster in Manning Town Center. They're in Castle Downs. They're in Twilliger. They're in Sherwood Park. And it's just like, like in my in my heart, it just breaks. And you know, and I just cry. And I and I just said like, why were you there? Like, why were you over there? You know, why yeah. were you so far? Why were you so far from me? Right. And and um, and and it and yeah, those those policies make it so unsafe for 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 the, this community that I love, you know. Um, but like, but like, good job. Like Oilers fans didn't see, you know, like a crack pipe today, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like while people, while, but like, like, like somebody was, somebody was like, somebody wasn't uncomfortable um, at the cost of somebody's life. Yeah. You yeah, know? Not yeah. even, not a fair trade at all. That's insane. That no. They would no. equate those two. Yeah. And, and it's just unfortunate. You know how we have like the three levels of government in Canada? Well, I always say we have three levels of government in Edmonton. We have the city of Edmonton, the mayor. We have the we have the police chief. Uh, we have EPS and we have the Oilers Entertainment Group. <laughs> yeah. And um, and it's like I don't I like I, I have no idea why a, a private company is influencing public policy to the point of, you know, like literally causing people to die you know um like oeg shouldn't like an oeg was pre was present at that press conference when they announced the crackdown um and it was actually that exact same day that um that boyle street was that that boyle street was forced to shut down their drop-in center permanently um, same thing but yeah that's a, that could be another topic for another day but um 
yeah, just I, yeah, I wanted to talk about those policies and, and, the, and the direct result, you know, that I'm seeing firsthand. Yeah, again, like I, I had inklings of that type of stuff, but I never heard it like put that way. Like the actual stats, that that's horrible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it it's again like a heavy, heavy subject. This whole podcast, but how else are people gonna like learn and and gain info on all this without someone like you putting it as like bluntly as possible? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. I want to share. I want that message to get out, you know, because a group of people that I love a lot are dying every single day from preventable causes. And um, and I would just I would just love to see it stop, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course that I mean, it sounds like there's a ton of obstacles in the way and some of them are. Mm-hmm. Or even like self-imposed by the people who think they're helping. It sounds like like a lot. A lot of the stuff you just told me is like the the definition of counterproductive. You know, they think they're helping, but they're actually like statistically. You just told us the numbers, how much they're hurting. Yeah, and it's more so. It's like like they know that's not going to solve anything. But the best, like for them, like the policymakers and like those who implement them. It's like, oh, we don't want to solve the problem. We just don't want to see it. Right. You know, they don't care. They don't care that they're dying, you know, on the outreach, you know, on the fringes of the city. Um, But they're just not, you know, they're just, they're just not dying downtown where, you know, they have to see them. And so they just move the problem. They don't solve it. And I don't think they ever, like, you know, they, they don't want to. And if they wanted to, you know what I mean? It would have been solved already. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, they can say they want to solve it, but you can just, you can trace all this back to them almost like going out of their way to make it unsolvable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, terrible, the whole system. Great that you're optimistic and kind of helping to to be the opposite of what they're doing it's extremely commendable but it's also like it i don't know it just seems it's it's so uh like i don't even know what the word for it's just like to me like the person i am could not go up against this much negativity and then come out positive like i you like really really would be like built different to be able to handle this right it's like yeah with without you and people like you this fight would be even like you know we'd be winning you guys would be winning even less if there was less people like you putting an effort into this so I mean, the little I know about it, I want to extend my thanks. I'm, I'm sure other people do too. And, and again, like, I hope even if one person listening takes what you're saying and goes and like tries to be a part of the change themselves, then I think, you know, uh, some good has come in this. Yeah, for sure. I like to think of that, like, there's that meme of that boxer. And it's like a boxer standing up and he's like, that's, he has his, has his fists up and it's like, and the caption could be like, oh, I'm going to go fight the system. And then the next picture is the boxer sitting on a stool and then the caption could be like, oh, the system has hands or something like that. You oh, know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I like to like think of myself as that boxer sometimes, but, um, 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I will, I will always continue to fight. Yeah, no matter how hard it gets. I mean that that's a perfect metaphor, and and now I think I that kind of have to think of you as that boxer from now on too. Now now that you put that in my head, like it, it's pretty unavoidable. I mean, like I was saying to you, I think before we even hit record, trying to keep these to an hour, we we yeah. didn't at all. I I knew we wouldn't. I w- I wish we could go longer, but I feel. That's okay. You know, if we go longer, people might drop off and then they're not True. hearing what you're saying anyway. So I feel like the most impact we can have is to keep it somewhat short. I I would love to I mean, I extend this invite to any guests to come back for a part two, but I I maybe implore you most of all, I'll check in with you in a bit and see if we can talk about what's changed or complain about nothing changing but i i really appreciate you just answering all this uh, i learned a lot hopefully anyone listening learned a lot i uh like you know actually before we go just let me ask one thing what do you do outside of all of this to remain positive like what's what's your like relax or escape or is there no escape for you it's just like <laughs> always impending thoughts um no like so like i i've i've worked because i've worked in the community for you know such a long time um i've gotten really good at like recognizing burnout within myself and and um and and it's taken me a long time. Like I have burnt out pretty badly in the past and, you know, it kind of comes and goes ups and downs. Um, but I just kind of learned how to like deal with it in like a very healthy or in like in a positive way. Um, I have a really incredible support system. Like I have a lot of really good friends um, who have my back. And, um, and so I just like, I like for like, I, I also just love, like I'm, I'm very much an extrovert and I just love being in community. Um, and again, it is hard. Like, again, even when I, I always say sometimes, even when I'm not working, I'm working just because like, even on my days off, you know, I've, I'll, I'll, I'll be responding to drug poisonings, you know? Um, but, uh, I just like kind of, um, for one thing, like one of one, one, one thing that I do or, uh, one activity that I like to do is I, I go bowling. Um, I like to go, f- uh, five pin bowling at Plaza Bowl. Uh, and like on Fridays with my friends and I've been kind of doing that quite consistently over the past year. Um, it's been, so that's been like very therapeutic. Um, you know, uh, that's just like one small joy. Like that's like a very, that's a very like, or not a small, it's a big, it's a big light. It's a big joy, um, in my life. Um, and just like, ah, I don't know, just doing things with my friends, just hanging out with my friends. Um, that's like my favorite thing to do outside of work. Um, it's just to be with people, yeah, who love me, who I love also. What's your your best game? Like what? Oh, um, two forty one. Yeah. And then what, my... what? Like, what's the best? It could like a perfect game. What's that? Score? I think a perfect game is three fifty. Yeah, which is three fifty seems which is and... which is twelve yeah which is twelve strikes in a row. Um, my record for, I have four strikes in a row. That's the best I've done. It's called the duck. <laughs> I didn't know there was names for all of that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
yeah, three strikes in a row is a turkey, four strikes in a row is a duck, five strikes in a row is a goose. <laughs> and what's six? Uh, I don't think there is a six or like a term for it. I think it just ends at goose. I mean, you can get six, but yeah. When you started, like when bowling kind of became a new thing for you, what was your score? Like how much have you improved over the years? Um, I would consistently break a hundred, like maybe just barely. And so it hasn't improved much. Like I'd say my average right now is like maybe around like one, like I, my average 166. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've just kind of like, I've just kind of remained consistent it, and it's not even like I want to be good. It's just like, it's just fun to chuck a ball at some pins, you know, and watch them go flying. It's, yeah. it's more so just to like, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it's just a way to like let off some steam, you know, it's a good way. No, that, that's great. And I, uh, I appreciate you answering all my questions about your job, but then I like that we get to kind of leave on, on a positive note. Yeah. Yeah. On a positive note for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I know, yeah, you've been, been wanting to get me on for a minute and I'm glad it finally worked out. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and shout out to Nick. Shout out to Nick. Nick's the homie. I love of that course. guy. <laughs> yeah, I I told her I didn't. I never leak any of my like. Really, my girlfriend is the only one who knows like what next yeah. week's episode will be. Yeah, but I did. Yeah. I told Nick just because he's been rooting for it for so long. So he'll be happy. I'm I'm extremely happy. Pleasure is all mine. Hopefully, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully, you can uh, maybe get get some lane time in, and uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully, hopefully talk soon. I w- I would love to, you know, kind of keep up with what's happening, and I'll make sure to link everything. Oh, actually, I I keep saying last question before <laughs> we go. Do you want to let anyone listening know where they can find you online? Because I know. Your yeah. socials are a great source of of uh, resources as well. Definitely, yeah. So my primary one is Instagram, and my Instagram handle is the Wolves are calling. So T H E W O L V E S A R E T H E calling C A L L I N G. The Wolves are calling. That's my Insta handle. That's where I. It's still. It's funny because it's my personal account or it's always been my personal account. But then once I started kind of getting into harm reduction work and posting about it, all of a sudden, you know, people were interested in it. And it's like, I have like a decent following right now, but um, if it's, again, I, I didn't choose it, you know, I just exist. And so it's still my personal account. So you're going to get harm reduction one day and you're going to get me bowling the other day. Would you, like, I mean, maybe it doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone to fuse the two, but I think like your account is actually probably one of my favorite accounts just existing uh, because I know like really what it stands for, and I like the fact that it can just be like here's the reality of a situation, and then here's bowling, and they both and like, here's a meme, exist. and here's a meme that I made about some bullshit, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, I will. talk soon. You as well. Definitely. Have a good day. Bye. See ya.